Welcome to Old Fashioned Finance, the podcast that mixes cocktails and high finance. I'm your host, Jason Demland, and I am joined as always and in the future by my good friend and fellow money muddler, Caleb Frankert. Jason, can a podcast about finance be entertaining? Not without alcohol. Well, all right, let's mix it up. <laughs> Giddy up, partner. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. Yeehaw, indeed. How's it going, man? It's going really good, Caleb. I'm in good spirits. I'm Probably because of good these spirits. good spirits. <laughs> Dang it, you punned uh, faster than me. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's gloomy as heck right it now. It is, and super it's been soggy. raining, and it's cold and gray. It's like we're in merry old London. Wait, merry old London, London, merry old, merry old London, cheery old London. <laughs> is that? Uh, <laughs> they won't listen to this. A- is that? <laughs> sounds like uh, Andy Bernard yeah. doing a. Roy too, governor. <laughs> Do you remember when he started uh, his acting career? And <laughs> yes, yeah. In the Sweeney Todd musical? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's The Office, folks. If you don't watch The Office, you're missing out. It's joy. It's yeah, pure joy. Missing out big time. Hey, if you're not drinking a hot buttered rum right now during this cold and dreary time, uh, you're missing out. Very much. On a hot buttered rum, that's at least. What, and it's a, it's a good thing. We haven't talked about our... But it's a bad thing to miss out on. Right, well... Save it for the podcast, Jason. We okay, haven't discussed yes, this don't yet. Don't talk about it. Oh, are we on? Okay. It's live. <laughs> it's We're doing it live. We're doing it live. Yeah, so it was bone-chillingly cold this morning, mostly because it's wet, because it's not that cold out, really. It's a it's a wet cold. Yeah. That's the... <laughs> that chills you to the bones, though. Like don't it, people always say that. It's a dry heat. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Really hot weather is really bad, and really cold weather is really bad. Well, well, wet I think and windy is probably my my least favorite. I, yeah, when it rains like this and it's cold in the morning, it feels colder. Like it feels colder than if it was thirty degrees and snowing. Also, when you were used to it being like eighty degrees, that's true. A couple weeks ago, my blood hasn't thickened up. We're like yet those for the folks. Winter. We're like those folks in Florida when it hits fifty degrees, and they're like, "Be careful! Bring your pets inside. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everyone is going to die." <laughs> well. I thought a warm drink sounded great because uh, I could not wait to get to my coffee this morning. And I'm trying to cut back on coffee. You're trying to cut back on coffee. <laughs> it's not working real well, especially when it gets a little chilly. And so I thought, how can I, how can I keep drinking warm things today? And hot buttered rum came up. Yeah, I'll, I'm being healthy. I'm going to replace my coffee with, <laughs> with hot butter, butter and sugar and rum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, I guess I'll dive right into you it. You might as well. Um, I accidentally spoiled the ingredients. Yeah. Hot, hot butter and rum. There you go. Just add. Don't forget the hot. (laughs) But what are the proportions? That's really important. Yeah. So what we're drinking today is a hot buttered rum. Um, I see some places call it a hot spiced rum too. I think technically this is a hot buttered rum because there's butter in it. There's also spices. There are spices. So a hot buttered spiced rum maybe. But we're also using spiced rum anyway. Uh, Anyway, here's what we're buttered spiced spiced rum. I think that's okay. Okay. Because we're adding extra spices to the spiced rum. I think when you make a term. A lot longer and as, <laughs> as inclusive as possible. That's the way to make the most people happy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's try, on, let's try on some other stuff. <laughs> so what we're drinking today. You know what? I just am drinking right out of my coffee mug. <laughs> it, it's a, uh, a heat insulating device. So uh, why not? Two ounces of rum. This is going to sound insane. 
But three teaspoons, yes, three teaspoons of sugar. We used light brown sugar, which mm. made this maybe just a tad sweeter. Little molasses. Yeah. A half a teaspoon of allspice, a half a teaspoon of cloves, a full teaspoon, excuse me, of butter. Mm. Not margarine, butter. And an ounce and a half of hot water. You want to stir it up, make sure everything's melted and combined. I did this separately before I added the rum. And then I threw a cinnamon stick in there. And there you have it. Hot buttered rum. Jason, did you know that there's a pretty long history behind hot buttered rum? No. Well, let me tell you. (laughs) Do go on. I want to know more than anything in the world, Caleb. (laughs) Hot buttered rum is something that's been around for a long time, dating back to roughly the 1650s. So as soon as we could get rum from the Central Americas? Caribbean? Caribbean, yeah. So it's very popular, obviously, uh, in the fall, in the winter. Uh, the, the hot buttered rum, that is. I think rum is popular anytime. <laughs> yeah, there are some pretty big <laughs> fans of rum out there. You know, back in the colonial days, many families had... And this is where it's really fun. You can probably find some really cool old recipes out there. Um, if you've done genealogy research and you've got any old heirloom documents, anything like that. You might even find a hot buttered rum recipe. They're Mm. pretty common. So during the colonial days, most families had their own recipes. Early Americans believed rum to be nutritious and a strengthener of the body, according to this article. So, you know, we talk about these cocktails that we drink and we go way back in the olden days, the 1800s, and we talk about guys like Jerry Thomas. Jerry Thomas had a couple of recipes, but this was an old one by the time he got around to it. So, uh, I think what we're drinking here actually is Jerry Thomas's number 207 hot buttered rum recipe. Awesome. So, you know, sugar, rum, cloves, allspice, butter, hot water. Yeah, I mean, he simply called it hot rum. Well, he can do what he wants as the godfather of modern bartending. Yeah. And uh, maybe we should just call it that instead of all the words that I tried to throw together. So there's some other recipes out there from uh, Jerry Thomas as well uh, that we did not check out, uh, didn't have time to, but uh, nutmeg and... There's some really fancy presentation, grating fresh nutmeg over the top of the drink and all that good kind of stuff. This is one to have fun with, I think. It's really, it's delightful. I like it, Jason. What do you think? It's the holiday season in a cup, for sure. I could see this being a very Christmassy drink. Mm -hmm. You could also do it for the fall, for sure, because it's got a lot of the elements of pumpkin spice. Yeah. It's delightful, Caleb. I have a sweet tooth. This Mm -hmm. has a ton of sugar. But it's also spiced up real good. The cl- cloves give it that little mentholish hit. Or I guess it's clove. It's not menthol. But you know what I mean. Yeah. A little bit of that freshness. Is, is that minty? I see. I get something different from cloves altogether, though. It makes you want to take a nice deep breath. The problem is with any hot drinks with alcohol in it, like a hot toddy or something. I uh-huh. put my mouth over it and I like inhale <laughs> a little and immediately right. cough. People are like, I remember my first time. <laughs> we gave one to other Jason here, and he immediately. I thought the first drink he was going to cough it out of his nose. <laughs> uh, but but it's, yeah, it's delightful. It is so comforting. It's it's one of those. It's like a I guess like a comfort food equivalent of a drink. Yeah. Well, the cool thing with, you know, how long this has been around and all the different family recipes is there is no wrong or right way to make it. Impossible. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of different versions out there. Um, I think one that came about just because butter, it was difficult to melt the butter and, and keep the temperature. Because this, this isn't going to taste as good if you got to microwave it, right? And if you just add yeah. the boiling hot water and everything mixes nicely and you got a nice hot drink. A lot of people I've seen have swapped out the butter with vanilla ice cream. Why not? Dairy is amazing. In, I in don't all of its see forms. why not. 
So what I'm saying there really is, you know, do what makes you happy. There is no wrong way to make a hot buttered rum. You probably just need hot butter and rum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't throw like toothpaste in there, though. I bet that would ruin it. Yeah, no. Is that what you're getting from cloves? I don't get that at all. I get like no. an old... No, I'm saying don't put toothpaste in. Cloves are good. Oh, okay. I was just thinking of stuff that like could ruin an, it. An like diesel fuel. Don't like, put diesel fuel in. Well, yeah, don't put that in there either. I get like... Cloves remind me of an after, like an old-timey aftershave. Mm. Not like the cheap... It's just really like a refreshing, invigorating kind of yeah, spice to go yeah. along with the real mellowness of, of so the sugar and butter. Yeah, you might just go right to sleep otherwise, yeah, right? Yeah, just... Yeah, it makes me so cozy, man. Just well, there it is. up with it. The hot, the um, hot buttered rum. I almost said hot toddy. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great drink, and and I guess that moves us on to our finance topic. Yeah, we've got some hot tips, don't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Caleb. I do. As you sit with your cup of hot buttered rum, uh huh, the spices effervescing from your mug hmm. and into your nostrils as you lounge in your oversized puffed up quarter zip <laughs> sweater it is very oversized. maybe maybe you start contemplating your time in this mortal coil called life oh you're suddenly seared by your conscience as the memories of decades of failures <laughs> come streaming to your mind you think jason i just got over this you what think are you doing there has to be more to this than just the vapid, self-seeking, hedonistic pursuit of your own personal peace and affluence. You think there must be more. Life can't be all about... Is there a point to this? Watching football, (laughs) making home improvements, (laughs) talking about the weather. Watching home improvement. Do you remember that show? When you breach the (laughs) metaphysical divide between what is and what could be, you know there's something better. Something good... Something perfect. Are you talking about dying? Like, no, no. I'm just trying to segue. I don't. I'm, you know what they say, Jason? There's two things we can count on in this world, and it's death and taxes. Well, I think that death is a good reminder that uh, we're all going to die. <laughs> yes. Uh, memento a mori, which reminds you that there's more to this than just serving yourself this life. Um, so you're saying I can't avoid death? Ta- no, you're going to die. And taxes uh, are always there. So what if we talked about today a way to maximize being a charitable person and minimize the amount of taxes that we pay? So I can't avoid death, but I could avoid some taxes potentially. Yeah. That's a hot tip. That's what I'm saying. That's the hot tip of the day. Well, it took you long enough to get there, Jason. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about that, Jason. We could probably do a series on this and maybe we will. Today, we're just going to focus on one idea, right? Yeah, today we're going to talk about charitable distributions from an IRA. Uh, I do want to talk about charitable giving. In our practice, we have, thankfully, a lot of clients that are pretty well off. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be able to provide for themselves in retirement. Uh, They're financially independent. They're able to take care of their kids and their grandkids and maybe all that. They've got a a legacy established. Uh, But something else that they're usually passionate about, and this is usually, this is pretty common with our best clients most successful clients is that they're very generous Mm -hmm. and they're going to give anyway, even if there wasn't a tax break for it, but there are ways to give, have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. And you might as well take advantage of it for a lot of folks. Giving is their primary motivation in this. And then the secondary motivation would be let's save some money on taxes. So, so that gets us excited as financial planners because 
we love that people want to give. Yeah, we and like working with generous people. Absolutely. It just makes it so much more pleasant. Yeah, it really does. Uh, so first, we have to set the stage a little bit as far as how we get to this point uh, of making a qualified charitable distribution. Also something that we'll refer to in this podcast as a QCD for short. That's, again, qualified charitable distribution. So this is something that you can make from a retirement account, whether it's a 401k, an IRA, you know, 403bs, any, any of those tax-deferred accounts. So let's set this up with why we have to take money out of these accounts in the first place. So you mentioned that many of our clients are in good shape. They have good retirement income in the form of Social Security and maybe a pension. And you know they've done a good job of living within their means. They get to retirement and they're okay. Well, you know, you know, we've talked about it, I think, a few times on the podcast before. But when you get to a certain age, you've been deferring taxes on these types of accounts for long enough in the mm-hmm. IRS's eyes. It's time to start paying taxes <laughs> on this tax-deferred money. So we have to take care of what are called required minimum distributions. And this age just bumped up to 72 from 70 and a half. 70 and a half was always the magic number. And that's important because we're going to reference back to 70 and a half. Memorize those ages, everyone. Yeah. So it used to be that at age 70 and a half, you had to start taking a percentage of your tax-deferred retirement accounts out and claiming that as income and settling up with Uncle Sam and paying the taxes. So that's that's the setup there. When you get to a certain stage, you have to take money out. But what if you don't need this money to live off of? What if you're not counting on that RMD, that required minimum distribution, to meet living expenses, Jason? Yeah. Uh, when you take that out, we have a lot of folks that ask the exact question, what should I do with this? And sometimes they'll spend it. They will save it in a different type of investment vehicle. You can't put it back into an IRA. Well, you could. It'd be <laughs> kind of pointless. Um, but you could invest it. You could save it in your bank account. You could just you know sit on it. Um, but that's that's usually what folks do when they take their required minimum distribution out of an IRA. Yeah, I would say nine times out of ten, the money's coming out of a, a an asset that's producing. So you're taking the money out, paying the taxes, and then sticking it into a savings account, which is overfunded anyway and not producing. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So I I think that uh, the moral of the story here is most of my clients that are taking required minimum distributions wouldn't take them if they didn't have to. Right. They They would rather keep deferring. Exactly. Keep deferring, keep the tax deferred train rolling. But that's not an option. So you talked about generous clients. We have many generous clients here. So let's talk about ways that we can satisfy Uncle Sam take money out and satisfy our tax obligation, but also satisfy some of those other charitable obligations that we might have in the form of a qualified charitable distribution. Yeah, in steps, the qualified charitable distribution to solve your tax woes. Yeah. Yeah, this uh, this really came about in 2006 and 7. Uh-huh. And you could have fooled me. I would have thought it was a lot older. But this qualified charitable distribution really allows you to take that required minimum distribution and above that money out of your mm-hmm. IRA and give that money straight to a charity. Um, but now, That's important what you just said. Yeah. Straight to a charity. We'll get to that when we get to how <laughs> it's actually done, the logistics of it. But I want to talk about the history of it a little bit uh, okay. because it is a lot more recent of a thing than I thought it, it would have been. It was, it was introduced in 2006 and 7, and then it went away. And then it came back. It was part of the TARP program. Remember TARP, Caleb? Oh, yes. The controversial uh, TARP yeah. program. So with the bailout, with the, we had a, the big financial crisis, if you're not aware, in 2008 and nine. So this, this came back in and it kept getting kind of thrown out and brought back with a bunch of fiscal cliff and budget debates. And eventually in 2015, it was made permanent. 
part of the Protecting Americans from Tax Hikes Act of 2015, PATH, the PATH Act, it was made permanent. So now, as of 2015, people that are retirement distribution age, mm-hmm. which 70 and a half. is 70 and a half for this now, don't confuse this. that with 59 and a half, which is when you're allowed to take distributions penalty yes. free. This is we're talking when you're at the age where you have to start taking money out. So, remember we said that 70 and a half was where we started it mm-hmm. for years and years and years that's since been uh, since been lifted to 72. However, in my opinion through lazy <laughs> lawmaking, the QCD was left at 70 and a half. They didn't they didn't budge that. So, let me run that back. So it's 59 and a half. You can take money out of a retirement account, but you got to pay income taxes. Yes. But you're not required to. You don't have to take it out. You have to take the money out at 70 and a half. Oh, wait, no, they changed that. <laughs> now it's 72. But, but because you used to have to start at 70 and a half, that's when QCDs can kick in. So they didn't, they updated the required minimum distribution age to 72, but they left the qualified charitable distribution age at 70 and a half. Probably because they were lazy. Well, nothing makes sense anyway. (laughs) Let's just tell folks how this is an advantage to them. Yeah. So let's put it this way. You have a client or you, the client. (laughs) Sorry. This is not a podcast for financial advisors. Although if you're listening, great. If you learn something, that's cool too. No, let's say you as a client, you've done a great job. You're retired. Your income is just fine. And age 72 rolls around or someone makes you aware of the 70 and a half rule. But you're basically informed that you have to start taking money out and you go, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. One of the first questions I ask a new client or a client who's approaching this age is, are you charitably inclined? And that sounds like a really strange question for some folks. And I always say, just play along with me here. There's, there's a reason. There's a method to the madness, okay? And, and we start to figure out, okay, well, I, I give money to my church every, every week or I give money to this children's hospital every year. Uh, or like Ronald McDonald House, you know, they send something mm-hmm. out at the end of the every year. And I, I think that's a worthy cause, you know. Um, so you, you might have that charity of, charity of choice. And by the, by the way, this could be very timely because we're coming into that season, right? Absolutely. Where maybe you're thinking more about supporting those charities. So to satisfy Uncle Sam, I think most people with retirement accounts, by the time they hit 70 and a half or 72 in this case, they know that they're going to have to start taking money out or there's a big penalty, right? It's a 50% penalty if you don't take that distribution. So what I find oftentimes for folks who are already taking their distributions is they're taking out that percentage that they need to take out and they're satisfying Uncle Sam and they're paying taxes like a good taxpayer. That money is then going into their checking or their savings account. And then every week they go to church and they write that check. And every December when the children's hospital needs money or the Ronald McDonald house needs money or whatever it is, they're writing that check and it's in some way, shape or form, maybe coming out of that required minimum distribution. So I wrote a blog about this a little while back. I don't mean to be super long winded about this, but here's an example I'm going to throw out there. Okay. So let's say you're a law abiding tax paying citizen and charitably inclined. We'd like to have our cake and eat it too, right? So here's a simple but practical example. Jim is a good guy. Jim's RMD for the year is $5,000. His effective tax rate is 10%, right? So Jim could expect that he has to take $5,000 out and pay 10% in federal taxes. Jim also gives $5,000 to his church every year. In addition, he's not claiming or he's not taking itemized deductions on his taxes. He's just taking the standard deduction like most of us are, okay? Here's how this typically goes down. IRA, withdraw of $5,000. 
Jim writes a check to his church for $5,000. And when he files his income taxes, he's got to pay $500 to Uncle Sam. Okay? So he's basically paying the IRS $500 to facilitate a transaction that he would normally do anyway. Right? Mm -hmm. Through a qualified charitable distribution, I would think any custodian would do this. If we write the check directly to your church, and we can do this on, let's say, a monthly basis even, if it goes from the IRA to the charity of choice, you have satisfied the tax box. Mm -hmm. Uncle Sam's happy. You don't pay taxes on that because it's going to charity, and you still gave to that charity of your choice. Here's a really nice thing, and maybe I'm jumping ahead. If you're not paying taxes, you're probably giving more to that charity, right? Yeah, that's the whole point of doing a qualified charitable distribution. Like we said before, and I like that you you played into that even with your example, Jim is a good guy. Most folks are going to do this anyway, and we see it primarily with folks giving to their church. It's it's the primary charitable organization that they give to, and they're going to do it regardless because they want to, because they think it's right. But it also might be other charities that they're going to give to anyway. Mm -hmm. Why not, if you're able to, and this is at age 70 and a half with a traditional IRA or 401k or 403b, why not save money on taxes? Because you could either claim that money as income and then donate and then maybe, even if you itemize, get a deduction for that donation, or you could just not have it count as income for you at all, Mm -hmm. which is better from a tax standpoint. Your organization that you donate to gets more money. You get to pay less in taxes. It's a win-win. And I know for our primary demographic of this podcast is not people age 70 and over. So for all of you out there, if you you are involved with a nonprofit organization or or a charity or your Mm -hmm. church, or you know somebody who is this age that donates, like a parent or a grandparent, uh, it's important that they know about this because we find people just are not aware that this exists. No. They usually do exactly what you described. They take a required minimum distribution. Because we know we don't want to make Uncle Sam, Sam no, mad. We I don't want to pay 50% pay in tax <laughs> right. penalties. It's a huge tax penalty. It stinks. So everybody begrudgingly does it. And then they sit on the cash and they live their lives as they were going to anyway. Maybe they do donate it because they've got extra money, but they're not taking advantage of this qualified charitable distribution tax advantage. I think a lot of people will hear about this and say, I don't know, this sounds kind of too good to be true. I'll err on the side of caution and I'll just take it out. I'll pay the taxes and it's not going to stop me from giving. This is IRS tax code, okay? <laughs> it's not cheating. It's not tax evasion. It doesn't there, make you less generous because right. you're using it. There is a difference between tax avoidance and tax evasion. And an IRS auditor looks at tax avoidance and tax evasion completely different, okay? So I think they're, they're probably, because this isn't something that's been around for 50 years. I think a lot of people do look at this and they go, oh, that sounds good, but I really don't want to be on the IRS's bad side. So I'm just going to do it the way that I've always done it. And it's not going to change how much I give. Um, But in the grand scheme of things, you know, if you're not paying any taxes, that's more money effectively going to the charity. Um, You know, it's just in Jim's case, that's $500 extra to play with. You know, maybe Jim takes that $500 and turns right back around and is more generous and gives it to his church because he, he's netting the same amount anyway, right? Yeah, that's so. more money he can be generous with. There are The IRS does have rules in place to stop people from taking advantage of this because we've all heard of the Clintons and their family foundation and, yeah. and that sort of thing. So you can't do a private foundation. It's got to go directly to a qualified charity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, in, and like I said earlier, in most people's cases, this is a bona fide charity like a children's hospital or a church most of the time. So that's not really an issue. 
But I guess we can go into some of the other rules of qualified charitable distributions if you think that's okay. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I know in my experience when I've talked to clients about this, and, and yes, it does sound nosy when your financial advisor says, are we charitable? It's not a judgment when I ask that question, right? I just want to know where, where money is going. so we It's can, a little bit of a judgment. Is it? Well, when you ask it, it is? <laughs> well, when you ask it and you're oh. like, are we charitable? And they're like, no. You don't give them a little, oh. You don't go, huh, huh. I guess, I guess not. I've had a couple say no. Oh, okay. Well, that's your business. Okay. <laughs> so, and I'll say, well, that tax loophole's off the books then. We can't really do that. But right. yeah, when I ask that question, it's really to see what's going on. And, and from our end, you know, we don't mind facilitating the transaction. We're, we're passionate about being generous. But I think that when clients first hear about this, they go, wait, wait, wait a second. I've never heard of this. So effectively, that's money that I never pay taxes on, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people think, how much can I though? Like if, uh, how much my IRA can I give if this is the case? Cause I, you know, when it comes down to it, I, I look at how much I've spent out of my IRA. Well, it's just the RMD. I could be more generous and not pay more taxes. Right. That's right. So this is interesting, uh, cause the uh, amount has changed a couple of times, but you can give up to a hundred thousand per year per person through qualified charitable distributions. So for a married couple, that's up to $200,000. That's huge. If you're in a really, really well-off situation and you've already got charities maybe earmarked as beneficiaries on some accounts, from a tax planning standpoint, this is a really effective tool. And you know, there's a lot of rumors about possible tax changes, yeah. and most of them aren't good. <laughs> but there's a rumor out there that a, a few things like this QCD rule are going to be indexed along mm-hmm. with inflation. So that $100,000 per year should be going up. Social Security uh, recipients are going to get around a 6% raise next year. You could really figure that if some of these changes go through that the QCD will also get a 6% raise, I guess, in the limit. So same thing with some of the retirement accounts, but that's another story. Cool. So it should be going up based on inflation, which is the good news. So $100,000 and $200,000 per couple, that's pretty impactful giving, right? And really, if you think about it from the standpoint that that's $100,000 per year or $200,000 per year as a family, we can not pay taxes on and still be wildly generous. It's a win-win. It is. I, that's, I haven't seen anybody do that much personally, but that'd be cool. And especially if you've got a whole bunch of IRA assets like that you said are, are going to a charity as a beneficiary anyway. Mm-hmm. That might be a cool thing to do um, as long as you're over the, the age. Uh, the other important thing is that these have to be done by the end of the calendar year. Mm -hmm. It's the same with a required minimum distribution. You're going to get dinged if it's not done by the end of the calendar year. Uh, But a lot of folks get confused because you can make contributions to an IRA up until your tax filing date for the previous year. So for 2021, you could have you could do it all the way up until April 15th of 2022. You could make your contribution. Not so with a qualified charitable distribution. Not so with a required minimum distribution. But make sure you get it in and completed by December 31st of the year. So don't don't tarry and try to get a, get a qualified charitable distribution from your custodian to a charity like the week of Christmas, yeah. for if, example. If you're like us, we're working on required minimum distributions now, which is October, because we don't want to be up against it at the end of the year. So... And and really, you know, from a planning perspective, the earlier you have this earmarked, I guess, if, if you think about it, a lot of these nonprofits are working off of a budget, right? And if you can give earlier in the year, that helps the budget out a little bit more than, a, you know, eking through a contribution the last week of the year. Yeah. So, Jason, do you have anything else on the QCD? Tons. Okay. <laughs> I mean, maybe not tons. 
let's talk about the logistics of how to actually do one because sure. a lot of people are really confused about that let's let's first i guess let's talk about the wrong way to do it <laughs> okay yes let's talk about the wrong way so i just sat down with my financial advisor he told me i could do this cool qcd thing so i'm going to go ahead and january 1 i'm going to take my required minimum distribution and i'm going to write a check to my church what have i done wrong caleb you ignorant investor <laughs> What you did wrong is you took possession of the funds. The IRS is going to tax you on that. You can go ahead and give it to your your church or the charity that you choose. And you're going to have to itemize that deduction to try to get any benefit for it. Because that does not count as a qualified charitable distribution. You have to do it a different way. It's got to go right from the custodian to the charity of choice, right? So uh, I kind of look at it like like a rollover, right? When a client is moving retirement funds, we always say, if we do it this way, direct... The custodian is cutting a check to the new custodian. Your name is never on it. You're never a payee. There's never danger of you cashing that check and making it a taxable event. Same thing with the distribution. Just don't take the chances of it entering into your hands. And then you're in a situation like you said, where, well, now you got to look at itemizing uh, for for this to work out in your favor. And it still won't be as beneficial as the qualified charitable distribution. And we know that it takes a lot more charitable giving to itemize. I mean, unless you've got yeah. a whole lot of other items, you know, a, a lot of other things that you can count in there. But we're talking about people who are doing pretty well in retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, your deductions are probably not what they used to be. You probably don't have a lot of interest uh, to claim from your mortgage. You probably don't have a lot of these big deductible expenses. I might have a lot of medical expenses, though. That could be. <laughs> but but then again, remember, if you have all these deductions to claim, um, you're probably not doing well enough to be this charitable. Maybe, you should maybe use not. qualified charitable distributions regardless. <laughs> uh, yeah. And there's usually your custodian, uh, whoever that is, when you think of custodian, that's who's got your money, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where your IRA is, if it's Fidelity or TD Ameritrade or Schwab or one of the other billions of custodians out there. They usually have a form that you can fill out that can do just like a regular distribution from your account. It's not the same form. This is specifically for qualified charitable distributions yeah. that will will cut a check to the organization. You can set it up monthly. You can set it up weekly. You can set it up once a month. You can do it uh, as you want a one time distribution straight to that charity where they'll either they'll either send the check straight to the charity mm-hmm. or they might send it to you. It's not made out but to made you. Payable to it's the made charity. payable to that charity, and then right. you can you can deliver it and complete the gift. Uh, there are some, usually the custodian will endorse it, like sign it, guarantee it that it's good mm-hmm. with a medallion signature or something, especially if it's large. Um, but it's as simple as that. You just have to make sure you get the form. Don't try to do it on your own. It does need to be documented correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there, well, I guess this isn't the place that work with a competent financial advisor probably on this um, because there are some, there's some minutia that can get screwed up as far as, you know, if you, if you take withdrawals, let's, let's say for example, you're taking withdrawals and you're taking income out of that account, mm-hmm. right. On a monthly basis. And then you get to the end of the year and you want to do this qualified charitable distribution. Uh, 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 those early distributions earlier on in the year count towards your required minimum distribution before the others. So mm-hmm. there, there is, I say with this, the better, it's better to get it done at the beginning of the year if you're taking anything else out of those accounts, right? Yeah, I would say. And then, and then you make know, it worst case first, scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Worst case scenario, you claim that other stuff is income then and, and you could donate it also. I, 
and and we're having worked with charities before. They prefer to get money periodically, monthly, yeah, rather than lump sums at the end of the year. That's when every charity gets bombarded with large gifts because people are trying to find tax deductions mm-hmm. usually. And uh, if you can set it up early in the year. Uh, you, you'll know after December 31st, you'll know what your required minimum distribution is for the upcoming year. Try to get as close as possible to that if you're going to, if you're going to distribute your entire required minimum distribution. But remember, you can go higher than that. Yeah. If you're going higher than that, good on you. <laughs> All right, Caleb. I, uh, so our final parting thoughts. You got any calls to action or the largest takeaways as we distill down a qualified charitable distribution for our listeners? Yeah, I, and I think that this is, um, maybe it's overly simplistic, but um, a required minimum distribution shouldn't be a surprise, right? So uh, anytime it's, you know, we're dealing with something financially speaking, it's not a surprise. We should plan for it, right? Right. So I think earlier on uh, in the year, the better. Uh, come up with a plan for that required minimum distribution. Get it off your plate early. I know there's a lot of ideas and strategies as far you know pushing those required minimum distributions uh, closest to the end of the year as possible and all that kind of stuff. But I think actually having a plan, find out what your required minimum distribution for the year is going to be, and then have a plan. Um, kind of like budgeting, right? You see what your income is going to be, uh, and see where you want to give if you're interested in doing a qualified charitable charitable distribution, and map that out. And not to be ageist, but since you're probably not listening to our show, if you're <laughs> 70 years old or older, and if you are, that's awesome. That's great. I hope this was valuable to you. Um, but if you're, you know, somebody in your 50s or 40s, or when does the millennial age start? 38? If you're a millennial or even younger than that, if, if you know someone that is required minimum distribution age, let them know that this exists. They might not know. I, I, we got to get the word out there that this is an option because in practice, we see most people sit on their required minimum mm-hmm. distributions. It no longer is earning them any money. It just just sits, usually. Yeah, in practice, most of my clients that I've talked to who are charitably inclined are not taking advantage of this or hadn't taken advantage of this until we brought it up. So um, I, th- I think education is a big thing. A lot of people don't know that this is an option. So um, one other subset of people I'd say that might be listening, uh, you touched on earlier, would be someone who works for or with a nonprofit organization. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Good call. You know, if you can educate your donors uh, on on these types of situations, I'm not telling you to go give tax advice, but uh, if your donors know that these options are available, that probably will lead to more donations, which is good for the nonprofit. Absolutely. And hopefully it's a good cause. Yeah, (laughs) I hope so. I really hope so. But yeah, it's... how how powerful is it to be like, hey, don't you hate having to take your required minimum distribution? What if you give it to our charity or our church? Let us take care of it yeah. for you. Yeah. That's great. And then the other big tidbit, I think this is like the biggest logistical uh, warning. Make sure the check from your custodian is made out directly to the charity, not to you. That will wreck a qualified charitable distribution. Yeah. And if that happens, I don't think there's uh, a whole lot of grace with the IRS on this one. It's pretty cut and dry. Nope, it happened. At least you took your RMD out. That's pretty much what they'll say. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, do it right next year. Cool. Well, I I think this was valuable. We touched on a lot of good stuff. Uh, Again, I think this is one of those things, Jason, where you and I do this for a living and we probably take for granted what people know about this stuff. Um, So while this uh, might not be geared towards our target audience for the podcast, 
you probably know somebody who's in this situation. So oh, yeah. share the news, share the podcast, whatever you got to do. Um, you know, there's blogs and things like that out there about it too. Uh, really powerful stuff. It can make a big difference when it comes to estate planning um, and, and all those things. So really, really good and underutilized in my opinion. Absolutely. Anything that reduces taxes and increases generosity is a cool thing in my book. I think it's good. I don't know about you. Wait, I, no, you just said it. you thought it was good. I like it, yeah. Well, I don't know about you guys out if there. If I make it to RMD age, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hold you to it. <laughs> okay, do it. <laughs> All right, Jason, before we close out the tab, we do want to uh, welcome a new member to the Speakeasy. Mr. Tristan Kelsey, welcome to the Speakeasy. Glad to have you. Tristan! Tristan! Have you ever seen Legends of the Fall? No. Oh, Brad Pitt, a bunch of other people. Uh, Anthony You know, I always get that confused with uh, A River Runs Through It. Is it the same people? Well, a lot of, I think, well, Brad Pitt. Okay. Um, but yeah, it came out sometime in the mid early nineties, I think. Is Tristan the boy that gets lost or something? No. Okay. So there's these three brothers and eventually they go to world war one and Brad Pitt only goes because his younger brother Samuel had enlisted and Samuel is getting mustard gassed and gets trapped in some barbed wire. And Brad Pitt's all like kind of hardcore in that movie. Cause he's like raised by native Americans and he's got like, he's scalping people and it's pretty it's pretty hardcore. Anyway, he's trying to get to his brother. Meanwhile, these Germans are setting up a machine gun right in front of Samuel, who's all tangled up in the barbed wire, and he's blinded by the mustard gas. And he's going, Tristan! And that's Brad Pitt's character. Oh, and, okay. And uh, and Brad Pitt's running after him going, Samuel! And he's doing his, like, you know, his Brad Pitt thing, where he's, like, super, super handsome, but also very distraught. <laughs> and uh, they set up the machine gun, and they just kill him. And... Uh, and he's just yelling, Tristan! And it makes me really sad when I, when I... You all should watch Legends of the Fall. Okay, so we should find out what Tristan's last name was in the movie. Maybe it's Kelsey. I well, don't know. I, no, I, they're all brothers, and I don't care. It's something... It's not Kelsey. Okay, well, sorry. It's all right. <laughs> hey, this is a great time. If you're enjoying this show, I think you should you should hop there on uh, Apple Podcasts and, and think about leaving us a review. It really helps people to know that this show exists. And that we talk about things like Legends of the Fall and uh, hot rum, spice. Butter. Butter. Butter, rum, and spice and Yeah, hot. so I would love it God. if you disregard my incoherent babbling and leave <laughs> us a five-star review. Yeah, uh, go out to your favorite podcast platform or your least favorite podcast platform for that matter. Give us a five-star review. Tell us what you think. Yeah, leave some feedback in the speakeasy. That'd be great. If you yeah. want us to talk about something, please tell us. Yeah, absolutely. We'll I'd love read to it. do it. <laughs> Jason will read anything you put in front of him. That's so, right. All right, folks. Thanks for having a drink with us this week. It's time to close out the tab. If you have a question or a topic you want addressed on the Old Fashioned Finance podcast, be sure to email us at speakeasy at oldfashionedfinance.com. We would love to hear from you. Don't forget to share the show with someone you love or just someone who needs a little money muddling themselves. You can stay up to date with the latest action by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Old Fashioned Finance is brought to you by Blue Jay Financial Group, that's BlueJayFG.com, and produced by Pottery Studios. We've been your hosts, Jason and Caleb. Cheers!
Blue Jay Financial Group, LLC, Blue Jay, is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Ohio. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The presence of this advertisement on this podcast shall not be directly or indirectly interpreted as a solicitation of investment advisory services to persons of another jurisdiction unless otherwise permitted by statute. Follow-up or individualized responses to consumers in a particular state by Blue Jay in the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation shall not be made without first complying with jurisdiction requirements or pursuant to an applicable state exemption. All verbal and written content on this presentation is for information purposes only. Opinions expressed herein are solely those of Blue Jay, unless otherwise specifically cited. Material presented is believed to be from reliable sources and no representations are made by our firm as to other parties' informational accuracy or completeness. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation. Did you just boop? A little. Okay. <laughs> well, that was fun.